We can't breathe. We Win presents the Winner's Circle podcast series, We Can't Breathe. The Rally for Justice, discussing the recent killings of African Americans at the hands of law enforcement and what we have to do from a holistic perspective to take action and invoke change. Here at the Winner's Circle, the conversations are different. I can't breathe. I have my ID right here. My name is Elijah McLean. That's my house. I was just going home. I'm an introvert. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat. But I don't judge people. I don't judge people who do eat meat. Forgive me. All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I will do anything. Sacrifice my identity. I'll do it. You all are phenomenal. You all are beautiful. And I love you. Try to forgive me. I'm a mood Gemini. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Al, that really hurt. You all are very strong. Teamwork makes the dream work. I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't breathe correctly. These were the last words of Elijah McLean. Mr. McLean died days after he was detained by the police last summer. His death has has come to occupy a central place in Colorado's fast-moving debate over police reform. An outrage over police brutality has erupted across the country. In the wake of George Floyd's death, a wave of fresh attention and scrutiny has been applied to older cases in which people died after encounters with the police. One such case is that of Elijah McClain, a 23-year-old black man who died last summer after the police in Aurora, Colorado, restrained him with a chokehold that has since been banned. Mr. McLean was walking home from a convenience store on August 24th when someone called 911 saying he looked sketchy and was wearing a ski mask and waving his arms. The police arrived and after struggling to handcuff Mr. McLean, police officers brought him to the ground and used a cartoid hold which restricts blood to the brain to render someone unconscious. When medical responders arrived, After about 15 minutes, paramedics injected him with ketamine, a powerful sedative. Mr. McLean went into cardiac arrest on the way to the hospital, and he died a few days later. Rest in peace, Elijah McLean.
What's up, winners? We are back here at We Win Presents the Winner's Circle. I am your host, Tab Manning, and I want to say hello. I know that, you know, I took a week off um, for my just a little vacation here, um, but I am back and we are still in the midst of our series, We Can't Breathe. Um, we've been discussing for the past few weeks, the rally for justice discussing the recent killings of African-Americans at the hand of police officers and what we can do from a holistic standpoint to take action. Um, the past couple of weeks, you guys know that we had um, we had a community politician um, who spoke from the perspective of politics and the importance of voting, the importance of us holding our elected officials accountable, the importance of us coming out to city council meetings and to just becoming more involved in our community and the people that we are putting in office to represent us. Um, and then the following week, um, I had a great friend of mine who was a pastor and the topic of that series was, well, it was still We Can't Breathe series, but that episode was We Can't Breathe and Where Is the Church? And we spoke about what we need to do from from a spiritual perspective, our spiritual leaders, um, our church as a body of Christ, and how, you know, where the disconnects are and, um, you know, how we need to, you know, come together to mobilize and to unionize and to strategize and to connect both our elders um, with our young people to come to a a um, one unified mission. And so now this week we have a treat for you. You know, we've done all of this talking about what we need to do and how we need to respond and how we need to act. And all of those things are very important. However, I also feel that, you know, there's a time to reflect, there's a time to react, there's a time to respond, but then there's also a time for us to rest. There's a time for us to realize, you know, that we're hurting, that we are dealing with pain, that we're dealing with grief, that we're dealing with anger and all sorts of emotions that we've probably suppressed or put, you know, to the back burner to deal with the affairs at hand. And so with this episode this week, I wanted to have someone that could come and that could share with us how we heal. And, and how we deal with grief and, and how we deal with the feelings that we are having as we are seeing our brothers and our sisters each and every day on television being murdered um, in cold blood. I mean, if you if you you watch the news each and every day, we're seeing something more and more. Um, and so we cannot see that and think that it does not have an effect on us that it does not affect our our mood that it does not affect you know our behaviors and and all of those things and so i felt that it was my social responsibility while i'm educating you guys and empowering you guys and giving you calls to action to also you know, send some tools and send some resources to you so that you can heal and so that you can um, deal with the emotions that you're having. Um, I feel that it's very important for us to deal with those things. And so that was why I decided to um, have this episode today. Um, and I have an awesome, awesome speaker that's going to be on the panel with me. And her name is Diana Curtis. Now, Diana Curtis is a sought-after advanced grief recovery specialist. She's also a spiritual life coach and a speaker with a history of great successes in her work. 
After healing her own crippling pain of grief, Diana turned her pain into purpose and legacy that honors her mother. Diana created Coaching to the Heart, LLC, a coaching practice to support other women seeking transformational breakthrough in their lives. She specializes in working with professional women without mothers who are having a difficult time moving through the emotional pain of loss. She helps them create a sacred path for healing, gain clarity of purpose, build legacy, and introduce their gifts to the world while being well rewarded for their gifts. The great news is her work is applicable for anyone dealing with a loss and a heartbreak of any kind. As the creator of Grief Healing Solutions, she offers various holistic approaches to processing grief with attention to easy, peaceful coping for anyone suffering from the pain of loss. So we win listeners out there. I want you all to get your ears open, ready, get your notepads out because she's going to give us some great information today. And please extend a warm welcome to Diana Curtis. Good morning, Diana. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you you so much for being with us today. Um, You know, from the very first time that we met a few weeks ago on that Mother's Day brunch, that virtual brunch, I said, this woman is awesome and I have got to work with her and collaborate and, and, and just make some things happen because it was just something about your energy. Oh my gosh. Um, it was just calming and it was soothing and it was relaxing. And I just said, I, I need more of that and I need to get her on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you this morning? I'm doing great. And even if I was not so calm and soothing, just that voice, that energy, that affirmation coming from you just moved me right into that space. So thank you. I'm doing great. (laughs) Great. I'm glad to hear it. So um, I know that we have, you know, talked um, on the back end and offline about just, you know, everything that's happening right now, the the social crisis that, you know, I was going to say our country, but I can't even say our country. I would say our world is in at this point. Um, you know, all across the world, people are protesting about things that's happening here in the United States. Um, the social injustices, um, you know, the um, men and women that are, you know, being that their lives are being taken by law enforcement. And I, I always have to emphasize that, you know, these are unarmed men and women. It's not like they're out having shootouts with the police officers, but these are literally unarmed men or women, um, either some type of um I won't say necessarily say victimless crimes, but we'll just say that, you know, um, the, the crime doesn't necessarily, um, the crime doesn't necessarily equal the, uh, the punishment that they're receiving, which is ultimately death. Right. So, um, but you know, again, we're seeing this each and every day and it seems like now it's being reported so much more, um, than it has been. And, and we know a lot of that, um, you know, it was because of social media. Um, you know, the fact that we have our these devices, our cell phones, our tablets, and things like that, we're able to record things, we're able to see things in real time. 
Um, and so one has to think that if you're sitting here and scrolling through social media or scrolling through Twitter and you can't help but see um, George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, or um, seeing Mr. Brooks, who was just killed, or hearing about Breonna Taylor, who was, you know, gunned down in her own home while sleeping um, on a no-knock warrant. Or most recently, and this is not even recent, but Elijah McClain, um, a young man who lived in Colorado, and this was over a year ago, however, it's now resurfacing, but he was literally walking home from the store and, you know, the police, someone called the police and said that he looked suspicious because he was wearing a mask and the police approached him and, um, you know, said he looked suspicious and, you know, began to arrest him and, and put him down on the ground and, at some point, the paramedics came and they gave him some sort of sedative, which sent him into cardiac arrest and he died. So, I mean, it's like every time it's almost to the point where every time we turn on the news, there's another one. And now there's others that we had never heard about because those, you know, specific counties or, you know, authorities kept it under wraps. And so you know, now that we're protesting and now that we're demonstrating and now that, you know, all of these things are coming to surface now, all of the stuff that we didn't know happened, you know, the, the victims right. that we did not know about that only stayed within their local news is now becoming national headlines. Um, right. So I know that I've said a lot. Um, and it's because, of course, my, my heart is heavy. You know, I, I have a 20-year-old son, a 22-year-old daughter, and every time they walk out that door or, you know, or, or late at night or don't answer a phone, I'm immediately into um, panic mode. And I know that it's resulting from what I'm seeing and, and what's happening and, and what's, you know, what, what's what I'm observing in the news each and every day. So with all of that being said, um, Please share with us just your thoughts on, you know, what, what you've been seeing and, and how you've been feeling with um, the current state of our system. Yes, yes. Wow. Um, I totally agree with what you just said. Some of what you just shared was news to me um, because I purposely slide in and out of the news and not listen um, a lot, but I need to know what's going on in the universe. So your question is, how am I feeling? What am I seeing? Let me start with what I am seeing in the world. And that is, I'll start with the pandemic. I see a world that's being swallowed up in grief because there are losses everywhere. They're all around us. We're seeing images that we will never unsee. There's loss of lives, jobs, normalcy, finances, marriages, and a loss of freedom. Individuals or, I hear it all the time on the news, we are ready for the virus. We're done with the virus, but the virus is not done with us. So I see a nation who still wants to be in control, mm. even though there's proof that we are never in control of this universe. It's not ours. We didn't create it and we can't control it. Now, there's some good things that I see. The environment is getting cooler. cooler. Um, people are creating new systems, new processes, new jobs. 
uh, there's power all around us also. And the thing that we can control, what we can do, is to use this time alone and isolation and quarantine, whatever you want to call it, to get clear about what our next move is going to be, what we would like to achieve in life see this new norm and start debunking those old traditions that we have been working with. And I love the pastor that was on your previous show. I mean, things are changing everywhere. Even in the church, nature is changing, feeling heard. So that's what I see in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the civil unrest and racial injustices. I'm seeing something that I've never witnessed before, at least in my time, and I'm probably a little bit older than you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple of a couple of more decades. Just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but I'm inspired by the large number of people that are people that are rallying for change, the different skin tones, the different countries. Uh, there's a new elevated level of unity and commitment to change. Now, the pandemic started when? Back in March, I don't know how many months, that's three, four months before this new wind of civil unrest. Now, the civil unrest is occurring a few months before what? The election. Mm. My concern is, can we keep the momentum up for the next, what, four months, five months, however long, keep that same excitement around the election, and keep that momentum going out five years, 15 years, how many ever years? We expect change to happen today in the moment. People need to realize change happens over a lifetime. And we may not see the change that we want today and be okay with that because evolution is constant. It's constant. I may not see the changes that your generation is really vocal about and have started all kinds of movements. Um, Black Lives Matters, the Me Too of Me uh, movement. So, My offer is, you said it at the beginning, there's a time to reflect, there's a time to respond, and there's a time to rest and celebrate what we've accomplished thus far. Then get back to the cause. But if, if we stay, move, 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 don't celebrate, don't look at those who've come before us to get us where we are today, celebrate that. You know, recharge and start again and see it as a cause and more and less as a fight because that energy of fighting, oh, we get so weary and it tires Mm. us out. We get weary. That's good. That's that's good. That's so good. Oh, man, you said such a mouthful there, Miss Diane. Um, Especially, I want to take a moment to mention when you said that you know we have to understand that the patience piece of it right that you know even the work that we're putting in right now we might not necessarily reap the benefits of that however it's not for us 
you know, we're, we're doing the work so that the ones that come after us are able to live a better life here than what we are. Right. Um, when right. I think about the civil rights movement, you know, when Martin Luther King said it best, he said, you know, I dream of a day when, you know, my, my daughters will be able to play with other white girls. And, you know, he knew that he might not necessarily see that in his time, but what he was doing was he was foreseeing the future and the work that he was putting in was not for it to happen right then and there, but for the ones that were coming behind him. And so right. I think that that's, I mean, when you said that, it almost like struck a chord with me immediately because we are, and I'll, I'll just say it, we are a microwave generation and we expect <laughs> to see results immediately. We want to see results yeah. right here, right now. And so there will be some things that are way overdue that yes, they need to be, that change needs to happen now. However, I also think that we should be forward thinking and what is it that we can do now that's not going to benefit us necessarily, but the ones that are coming after us. And I think that's important for us to consider and to remember. Um, yeah. I just, um, I know you said that you you unplug from the news and I try to unplug from the news and it feels like if I unplug for just a couple of days that I miss so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I am happy to say, because when I first started this podcast, well, when I first started this series, one of the things that I had mentioned was, you know, what are our demands? What are we protesting for? What is it that we want to see happen? What is the change that we're trying to invoke? And one of those changes was the hate crimes bill here in Georgia, because we were mm -hmm. one of four states in the United States of America that did not have a hate crimes law in place. And so yesterday, Governor Kemp signed it into law. And so that's something that we should celebrate. It actually goes into effect on June 1st. So that's something that, again, you know, if these things had not happened, I'm not sure that this hate crime bill would have passed the way it did. Um, because they had been dragging their feet and they, you know, this is something that had been in the works for quite some time, but there was no sense of urgency. And, and so right. when you think about, and you know, I'm always a person and, and I understand because of my relationship with God that, you know, things happen for a reason, right? And we don't always understand why. And a lot of times it doesn't feel good to us. But God will always get the glory out of everything. And also, all things work together. So, you know, I, I hate the fact that we've lost our brothers, you know, um, Floyd and Arbery. And most recently, um, Mr. Um, I, Mr. Rave. I can't remember his last name. His name has left me. Rayshard Brooks. Brooks. Thank you. And, and mm -hmm. so, you know... I hate that we have lost them. I hate that these families have lost their husbands, their brothers, their sons, their fathers. However, you know, hopefully their death will not be in vain. Hopefully their death was something lit a spark in us to make us move and to make us get uncomfortable so that we will do what we need to do. Not fight, like you said, not necessarily fight, but to put the work in so that we can really affect change in this country. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I want to just go back to what you said. You gave your listeners a thing, a big thing to celebrate. Now, most of us heard that yesterday and moved on. Me personally, 
huh, did I stop to celebrate? No, <laughs> I kept it mm -hmm. moving. So thank you for bringing that back around to, there are so many opportunities when we look, so many opportunities to celebrate the good. Now, the Bible talks about there will always be evil. We are to stay on purpose while we're on this side. So focus on the good when the good shows up. So thank you for bringing that back. Around. Yes, ma'am. You also, you also asked me, how do I feel? Um, I just want to share, I, I, I feel moments of sadness and disappointment like everyone else. Um, when the struggle, when we move through life as if we have to struggle and suffer, there lies the grief because we're wanting something different to show up and happen. So when I'm feeling this mo these moments of sadness and disappointment, there's an immediate check-in. What is about? What is going on? What did you tell yourself? A lot of mine comes from my childhood, you know, seeing the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> it brings up mm -hmm. stuff. I confess there is some charge still around the dislike for anyone who feel that they are better than any race, any gender, any lifestyle that people choose for themselves. And it brings me back to a memory of when my elder grandmother would say, yes, sir, to young white men. And I would question her as a child and I would ask her not to do that. And then I would, the grief of me would come in me judging those other people as bad. Mm. And quite honest, my grandmother was doing what she had been taught. So I was grieving her serving that way or showing up that way to another group of people. And then I was grieving in my heart because it's not natural for us to dislike, judge, and be cruel to other people. So I just, that's my stuff. And I continue to have to deal with that at the core. We're all good, we're whole. And many people are choosing the opposite. Again, the Bible say there will always be some evil. I'm up first though, continue my healing, my own biases and judging. I'm just gonna say my judging of white men, that superiority. But when I work with that, when I continue to heal that, all of this just takes me deeper, not only into my healing, but my path passion and my purpose and why I was created in this world. So we have to own our stuff as mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. And to, and deal with it. I agree. I totally it. agree. Um, one thing that you said about, you know, the dislike and hatred of people, of other people, of not being natural, I could not relate more. Um, it's, yeah. it, it takes such energy in my opinion, to have hatred or disdain for another person, especially a person that you don't know, that's never done anything to you, that's never wronged you. Um, it, it, it's, it's definitely unnatural. I don't understand it. I don't understand the concept of 
being able to hate someone that has never wronged you, right? So it baffles me, um, especially in this day and age and in this time that we're in where I'm like, okay, you know, we have not been slaves or been in slavery um, on, I'll say, the plantation, right, for at least, what, 100 years about. It, it's I could see how pre-civil rights there would still be some okay you know hatred for each other or whatever but when I look at I'm 40 years old and so when I see a white person that you know wants to call me nigger or wants to look at me as less than or it's like where did you learn that like how how did you because it's it's a learned behavior you did not come out automatically as a racist you did not come out automatically hating blacks and we're not in the time right now of where we are working your working on your plantations or where you're slaves or any of those things so it it just baffles me when i see someone that's like in my generation or even my my son's and daughter's generation because it it seeps into their culture as well where are you getting this from it's not natural but it's taught and it's, it's and it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. Um, but to your point, it's definitely not something that's natural. I can naturally um, smile at someone and say good morning and be pleasant and be kind to them. I don't know them, and it's just my human nature. That's just what's on the inside of me. It takes more energy, and it's draining to have to hate. <laughs> it's it's it really is. It's draining. It, it drains your energy. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, because when you shared the story about your grandmother, and I know that you mentioned that you said you, you know, you're a couple of years older than me, (laughs) (laughs) a couple of years older than me. Um, Miss Diana, where did you grow up? Um, did you grow up in the South or in the North or? Yes, definitely. I grew up in middle Georgia. Oh, wow. One of, uh, five kids my if i may just share a little bit more about yes ma'am i lost my mom at the tender age of three and as a three-year-old we can imagine the stories that i made up around that right (laughs) uh and it just planted seeds of mistrust abandonment isolation rejection and I watered those seeds for decades of my life because no one really talked about her or death. Uh, I guess subconsciously I knew she had died, but I told myself she abandoned me. Wow. And uh, not knowing that I needed to grieve, no one gave me permission to grieve. I had a lot of unfinished business and communications that needed to take place around the loss of my mom. And I was just voiceless, you know. I didn't get to live with the rest of my siblings. It was five of us. No one person back then could take on five kids. So I went with my father's family. One of my sisters went with my mom's uncle, and the rest of them went with my mom's mom. So, yeah, that was very interesting. And how that showed up in my life as an adult um, when I say mistrust, I really never trusted women. <laughs> and as I started doing my healing, I, I 
quickly figured it out, or at least my spiritual advisor helped me figure it out. I the thought was women would leave me like my mom. Oh did. wow. So I would leave them first. Mm. You make a mistake, you cross the line, I'm like, bye. Defense mechanism. It, yeah, fear that I'm going to leave you before you leave me. And I attracted all kinds of experiences with women to prove prove my point that you couldn't ju- you just couldn't trust women. Wow. <laughs> I grew up very quiet and as an introvert and quickly what happened later I I retired and identity confusion kicked in and I didn't have that career you know the six figures and the material things I still have the material things I, I think God blesses us with that but don't make that the priority of your life okay so and my kids were grown so I was left with who just me <laughs> me and God so that's when I really dived in and I knew that there was so much passion and purpose inside of me beyond retirement but I just couldn't access it so I did my work I worked to heal and release that pain from my body that energy of abandonment rejection isolation mistrust whatever you want to call it um I was carrying that around you know it was my luggage it was just had me bending over a little bit and I just devoted the next few years of pulling back layers of pain that was etched in my soul and I released it one layer at a time and here's the the thing that the biggest revelation for me was the more I release and cleared out that stuff my life purpose became crystal clear the more I release the more I realize the women that I was judging and blaming and those who were judging and blaming me was not the problem The problem was the problem. We both were dealing with the same issues, isolation and abandonment. Had no clue what was going on. Rather than heal that, we were blaming and shaming each other. And we were like magnets. We were mag we were just attracted to each other, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so once I realized that and cleaned up my heart, my life changed dramatically and here i am today speaking with you about grief wow and i just promised myself that i would support as many women as possible who were willing to listen and heal and be on the other side of this and some great men i don't leave of course men, but, but i i yeah my primary yeah, focus i is I, I totally <laughs> hey i'm we win i'm women empowered win I'm, and i get asked that question all the time well what about the men i said listen i have love for y'all too but my primary purpose in life is to uplift encourage and inspire women and i'm actually yeah. helping the fellas by doing that because if you have a woman that's uplifted encouraged and inspired and living on purpose then she is going to make your life heaven <laughs> <laughs> so that's yes. how I help the men. I help the men by helping the women. And once the woman is strong, then she's going to make sure that the man is is good. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. So, so thank you for, you know, taking us down. For one, thank you so much for your transparency um and for opening up to us and sharing with us, you know, um your your story 
um, your journey with grief and, and how you came to understand your purpose. I think that is so important because there are so many of us who are searching and seeking out what our purpose in life is. And we don't necessarily know how to get there. I get that question from friends, from clients, from, you know, attendees at my, at my workshops all the time. Well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what it is that I've been called to do. And, you know, I'm like, well, the best advice that I could give you is to one, seek God, because when you start seeking God and, and, you know, it sounds so cliche, right? But when you really start right. seeking God, when you really start getting that FaceTime in with him, when you really start having that one-to-one time with him and he's going to show you who you are and he's going to help you or, or get you to a point where you're going to address all of those layers, all of those distractions, all of those things that's holding you back. And like you said, the more and more you start to unpack those things, the more and more, the closer and closer you get to understanding what it is that you're here for, what your purpose is, what you're supposed to be doing with your life. It's all going to make sense. It's all going to come together. Yes. I, I, I have a similar story to yours, and I think you and I talked about this a bit. Um, I found it really interesting that you said that you uh, you had an issue like with women. Um, I don't know that I had an issue with women, but I definitely dealt with abandonment issues. Um, you know, my mom um, passed away when I was 13 years old. Um, and she passed away from substance abuse ultimately. And so I was angry with my mother for a very long time. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was angry because I felt like she chose the substance over her family. I felt like she chose the substance over her children. I felt like she should have got clean. She should have got her life together and she should have been here for her kids. Um, and it wasn't until I got older, um, that I was able to forgive her Um, I was able to let go, but more importantly, I was able to understand her. Um, She shared a lot of things with me, a lot of pain and hurt and grief and things that she experienced as a child. You know, she was, um, she had been given away for, given up for adoption. Um, She had been abused by the woman that um, adopted her. Um, So she had her own things that she was never able to, you know, get through. And so she found comfort or solace in in those vices, uh, i.e. substance abuse. And so no matter, you know, how hard she fought, you know, because she, she did struggle with her sobriety for quite some time, but I had to forgive her and release her from thinking that she didn't love us enough to get off drugs and understand that she did the best that she could with what she knew. And she was trying to fight her own demons the best way that she could. And so once I was able to understand that and understand what it is to be a mother, a single mother and raise children and what it is to go through things in life and, you know, not feel like you have an escape or a way or things like that. Um, I was able to better to just really just release her and say, you know what? I get it. I get it and I forgive you and I love you and I'm not angry with you anymore. Um, but in that process, I also realized that those abandonment issues did cause me to pull, put up defense mechanisms like you described. So mm-hmm. I would, I'm, I'm always quick to cut a person off, man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> I'll cut you off before you cut me off. If I feel like you're going to hurt my feelings or you're going to reject me, then I'm quick to say, you know what, before you do that, I'm going to put this wall up and I'm not going to allow you to do that. And I understand now 
that that comes from once again abandonment I'm not going to let anyone else leave me. I'm not going to let anyone else hurt me. I'm not going to let anyone else do anything to that to me. And I know that we've kind of gotten off topic, but it always comes together because it all makes sense. (laughs) And I think that it's all connected. Um, I felt that it was important to ask you, you know, where did you grow up when you talked about the story with your grandmother? Because I know that, you know, it is slightly different. Not to say that racism isn't in the, wasn't in the North because it's in the North as much as it's in the South. It's just probably a little, differently um packaged right um but i remember coming to the south to visit my grandmother and i remember just again there was a a, southerners dealt with southern blacks dealt with southern whites differently than in the north northern blacks Mm -hmm. and whites you know the the relationship or the way that they the interaction was different um i i could never understand why it seemed like you know in the south to your point my grandmother and my great-grandmother you know it seemed like they had like a subordinate um response to white people whether they were younger or what have you and that bothered me i didn't i just i was like why like like to your point grandma you are an elder this is a young white person why are you calling like they should be (laughs) calling you ma'am you know you're the elder here right um but it it, it was a cultural thing so i got it you know i i understood it um I would like you to, since we, I want to make sure that we're staying on track here, um, but I okay. want you to um, describe maybe some instances in your life personally, um, especially growing up, you said in middle Georgia, it, where you felt like you couldn't breathe because of experiences that you may have had with racism or discrimination or just, you know, other losses in general. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Um, actually growing up, Either I was unconscious, unaware of racism because I was like, oh, I was treated like a queen by most everybody, actually. Um, And the loss of my mother was the thing that had pained me all of my life, actually. Uh, So I began to realize and experience Consciously, I think discrimination, racism on my job, and I was an adult. <laughs> the most recent incident that comes to mind um, is a loss that many do not under experience if they don't have the melanated skin like you and I. And it was my loss of right to be able to go to work without being treated unfairly and discriminated against quickly the story at the time and i worked for an agent federal government an agency that uh, the majority of my career was like beautiful i worked with great people um i was very loyal you know i was a worker and i earned it was probably touching my ego but i was like getting performance awards throughout my entire career. This particular situation, uh, I was asked by a division director of white male to do something unethical and unfair to an Asian woman. I was the deputy director, he was the division director, and I said absolutely no. My life changed in that environment. I dare you say no to me. 
the unfair treatment and blatant racism was on. We were on. And the great thing about it, I was close to retirement. I had nothing to lose. My reputation had, you know, preceded sure. itself. They did, just didn't have much uh, ammunition that they could use against me. So pay the way as you go through your life. Then those who are trying to hurt you don't have a lot to hurt you with. That was my case. But I felt like a team of white individuals who had praised my performance years and months earlier started to give me average ratings. And my body felt the tension and the stress of going to work every day. And I didn't feel safe to be there. I felt violated by the system that was working against me at the time. And guess what? I couldn't breathe fully. Wow. I fought back. Yeah, I fought back. And my body started to pain me. But again, because I had these 30 plus years, I had this 30 plus year record of outstanding performance. They couldn't really hurt sure. me that much. So I went to an EEO. The judge said they couldn't prove that somebody had discriminated against <laughs> me, yet they offered me a few dollars to settle the case. Guess what? I never took the money because I wanted them to know this was not about money. It was about my right to be able to go to work without retaliation. And even though I got a new manager doing the process of white female who tried to correct those errors, the damage was done. And this might shock you. This occurred in our nation's leading public health agency. Now your audience can do the homework. I will not give their name. So I'm living proof of how racism and discrimination can affect our health. Racism is a public health crisis. Yes. And it's impossible to breathe fully in a hostile environment, no matter where it is. And what saddens me the most is this was an environment and continue to be an environment where our taxpayer dollars is paying the salary hmm. of these oppressors. And this has happened across the nation, across the nation. So luckily I did retire and I'm breathing sweetly <laughs> and I'm just, there's no heat around that. I've never really talked about it. I'm so glad you asked that question and I hope to be in a more powerful conversation about that with others who work for the federal government who can't speak out because they fear retaliation. I have nothing to lose. And so, you know, it's, man, so two things, <laughs> two things. The first thing is, yes, I absolutely agree with you 100%. And we know that racism is a public health issue. We see it in the disparities yes. Yes. of hospitals. We see it with the amount of um, African-American women who are going in to have babies and are dying. Um, they're not getting the same care. They're not getting the same medicine. Yes. They're not receiving the same attention. Um, it's funny because I just read an article that predated back to slavery. And it spoke about mm. the doctor who used to, he was, he's like well-renowned as the father of modern gynecology. 
um, they have this man's statue up. It's probably one of those statues that need to come down. <laughs> um, mm. But he performed um, experiments on enslaved black women without anesthesia, um, with, you know, everything that we go into the hospitals to have now when we go in for you know for our women's visits or to have children or things like that he used he he did these experiments on them without giving them anesthesia and actually came up with the theory that blacks were we had tougher skin and that we did not feel pain (laughs) and so that notion has carried on throughout you know the medical field for years and so you see it show up in how we are treated in the hospitals and so yes it this actually this is a public health concern racism goes across the board law enforcement the judicial system the medical field uh the corporate world everywhere you look it's there it's it's there rearing its ugly head now the next thing that you said about you know not being able to speak without retaliation you know as I stated in the beginning I was trying to for the longest time get someone that works within law enforcement to get on this podcast with me I figured you know at the moment not not downplaying my podcast because it's an amazing podcast (laughs) um however you know it's not like world renowned yet I don't have like a million followers or anything like that and so I figured hey you can you know get on here and share with me and and we can just kind of chop it up a bit about you know being black and blue because you're on the blue side but your skin is black and I just want to hear from your perspective because I know that there are good cops out there I know that there are you know men and women who work in law enforcement who you know got into this work because they wanted to really make a difference within their community and those are the ones that I want to hear from um I want to hear are you speaking out I want to hear what's happening you know within the force that they're not able to talk about and so which with each officer that I reached out to none of them could talk to me um and and the last Mm -hmm. one that I spoke with good friend of mine but you know pretty much said you know you have to go through this channel this chain of command you have to speak without public affairs and so that lets me know automatically that they want to filter and know and I mean I I get it because of everything that's happening right now with the police department so I, I understand that however they will not even get on a podcast with me because of the fact uh they know that it will result in retaliation it will result in them possibly losing their jobs and so i get it i get it right yeah yeah but thank you for for sharing your experience with us and i'm sure that there are so many people who are listening to this podcast right now who could relate who at some point in their life and in their career has experienced uh racism or prejudice with with you know on some level um on their jobs uh, it's it's quite common we, we see a lot of it um I know I just keep throwing facts out there now but you know the hate crimes bill was passed and now they are working on I was watching the news yesterday uh and it's crazy that they even have to do this um but they're currently working on a bill that protects African-American women from being discriminated against 
because of their hair in the workplace. And and so mm-hmm. this was a law, it's called the Crown Law. It was passed in California and I think New York and a few other places, but they're trying to get it passed here. So a woman like me who has locks or, you know, before my locks wearing braids or wearing my hair natural, wearing my Afro or what have you, you know, we could be discriminated against. They're not going to tell you I'm, I'm letting you go or I'm not promoting you because of your hair. But that's really the mm. underlying factor as to why many of us can't get jobs because of our hair texture, because it was considered to be unkempt or unprofessional or, you know, whatever other title they wanted to put on it. But this is our hair. This is a part of who we are. And we should not be discriminated uh, because of it, because of the the fact that our hair does something different than theirs. Like they set the standard for what professionalism is. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So again, (laughs) and you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, these are things that we have to put in place, not for us, but for the ones that's coming after us, for the ones that's coming up for, you know, my grandchildren and my my great-grandchildren making sure that when they get into the workplace that they will not have to deal with these same issues that we're fighting these same injustices that we're fighting about right now that we're fighting for right now so let's so before we move on i just there's something coming up and i just want to mention it um kind of piggyback a little bit on what you said about the doctor who felt that black women have tougher skin and we don't feel the pain and what came up for me when you said that is grief just flashed before me because oftentimes that's the perception that we as an entire race give the world we're stronger we're tougher and we stuff, we swallow, we don't communicate, we don't release. I'm not speaking for the entire black race. I'm speaking for those that I'm familiar with. I'm speaking for those who, my clients who've been stuffing the pain and reminding them that the body is not a storage container. It's a processing center, just like we breathe in and out. It comes in, it goes out. Food, in and out. Water, in and out. The same is true for our emotions. Grief is an emotion. Let it in, let it out. So we numb our stuff. Very often we numb it, whether we're numbing it with the alcohol, the drugs, sex and rock and roll, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And when I say we, I'm talking the entire world now. And I also love what you said, you had to forgive your mom. And once we start releasing that woulda, coulda, shoulda on my, off of our parents and see our mothers as women who are human just like yes. us, doing the best that they could do at the time, we release our grief, our pain, and we can hold it differently. So I just wanted to share a little bit more about those two points in terms of what came up for me when you said that. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I love this dialogue and I think that it's important for us to have these conversations because, you know, my podcast is predominantly for women. However, like you, 
I feel that the the content and the things that we discuss is something that is universal. It's not just for women, but for men too, because men grieve as well. And to and to right. your point, um, you know, that is the the stigma or that is, you know, what we're known for, you know we are strong and you know we can take pain and we can take a beating and we can you know we but we suppress so much and we desensitize to so much but like you said it comes in and if we don't release it and let it back out it is like a cancer and it will fester and it will make us sick and I think that when you look at you know all of the the ailments and the things that actually plague the black community a lot of it is in part to the fact of all it is that we have to deal with and all it is that we take on our shoulders the fact that we don't go and get you know um we don't go to therapy and we don't deal with our mental health and all of that stuff because at some point if we don't deal with those things those things then make us physically sick as well right so right it, it all works together and like you said our body the way god created us is everything that comes in has to also go back out from the air we breathe the food we eat all of those things when mm. it comes in it has to go back out and that includes our emotions but we as a community and especially our brothers you know they have been taught that men can't cry that men can't feel that men can't hurt that they always have to be strong and that is not the case because it's not natural and so when they deal with those things but they don't deal with them they suppress them or they put them you know in the back of their minds then it comes out in different forms you know it comes out in the vices or it comes out in them abusing um women or you know or anger at their jobs or whatever the case is it's because they're not getting to the root cause of something went in being grief or being anger right and it never processed to come back out right man Mm, I love the way you powerful it. powerful <laughs> no I, I I'm just I was just really regurgitating what you just said and taking it in and processing it for myself so because it, I, there's just right. so much truth to that and that's why I get so angry I'm not going to say angry that's a poor choice of words I'm really passionate about understanding and people having I guess a little bit more empathy for you know um I guess what happens in urban communities before we are ready to just, dis, you know, to just, um, um, I guess, um, with dismiss them and say, Oh, you know, they don't want to work or they're on welfare or, you know, they don't, they don't take care of their children or, you know, there's so many stereotypes out there about black communities, but we don't really take the time to really sit and figure out the whys. How did they get that way? Why are they, why are they that way? And what can we do to help them instead of just dismissing them or trying to get rid of them? There's a reason in this systemic systemic racism is something that has been embedded in our culture for hundreds of years and it plays out in these communities whether we want to say it or not like you said the disparity even within the health industry and within the work industry and the education industry all of those disparities you know play out in the fact that that's why that some of these people aren't able to go to college or or unable to you know work good jobs or you know be able to take care of their families better than what they can it's a systemic problem. And until we get to the root of that problem, to the root cause of that problem, it's going to continue to just be a cycle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
You know, you were um, you mentioned earlier, Mr. Brooks, Mr. Floyd, and what were some of my thoughts are what was some of their generation of grief that brought them to that intersection with those former police officers that led to their death. At worst, we think Mr. Brooke charges maybe a DUI, but even that was on private property. And he wasn't driving, he was just sitting in the car. Um, so, but from a grief perspective, the being intoxicated, what was going on, his coping mechanism for what, you know, we have these short term, I was trained, the acronym is short term energy releasing behaviors. Uh, when we're hurting, we want to numb it, whether it's with alcohol or something else. Mine's with shopping. <laughs> I used to be a shopaholic. I might still be a shopaholic. <laughs> I'm all better I need now. retail therapy every once in a while. I, I will not lie to you. I have to be transparent with my audience. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It's, it, yeah. What it was going on in their bodies. But not only... Mr. Brooks and Mr. Floyd, but what was going on in the body, the mind, the second of the former police officers? I can't imagine their life story, their pain, their trauma, their generation and stuff. They've seen a lot. And maybe they were not around, as they say. Well, I didn't do it. My and your ancestors did it. And that is in your bloodline. And it's still running through your vein. So what is it about you that think it's okay for you to shoot a man in the back or hold your knee on his neck until he's lifeless? The word of God say, let every living being that has breath breathe. Now, who are you to take that away? And what amazes me, Tabitha, is no one, at least in my hearing range, is speaking about in a way that we can change the narrative, the poisonous, the hatred, the anger, and the pain in the bodies of policemen who kill. Yes. The light is always, not always, I'm exaggerating, it's oftentimes on us. Now, when the a narrative get changed to include all of the truth i.e. the master narrative changer Donald Trump the Bertha movement a liar part of the story we want to hear all of the truth they're all of the truth we're all hurting we're all pained but we're talking about one side and I think collectively, individually, we're responsible for our own healing and then collectively come together. And I know we're going there, it's happening, but I'm prayerful that it happened more collectively, the conversations in my lifetime. Yes, yes, because to your point 
um, there is more than one side and it does start with conversations. Um, you know, we, and, and, and I know that I personally have been looking at this more so from my viewpoint, from my vantage point, from my lens as an African-American, um, mm-hmm. but I would, you know, welcome the opportunity of having the conversation and to see their side of this story and, 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 right. and where, where is this coming from? Cause to your point, like, we don't know what they see on a daily basis. We don't know, you know, what leads them to feel like, because I, and I say this all the time, it's specifically with Rayshard Brooks, because, you know, um, Every time something like this occurs, you know, their criminal record or their morality or whatever it is begins to come into play. So now they're saying, well, he was on probation um, for child Mm -hmm. abuse or something had happened, I guess, with one of his children or something like that. I don't know all of the details of it, but all of that comes into play regardless of what he had done, whatever he'd done in the past, whatever, whatever, um, had happened in this man's life. Um, even if he was drunk out of his mind, like you said, his car was parked and he (laughs) was not, so he could not hurt anyone in the state that he was in. He even offered to walk home and leave his car there. And I don't feel like he, I don't feel that if he was, if he was, a Caucasian man if he was a if he was a white man he would still be alive and that's where the problem is and you know I remember when the story first broke and I had some friends over and we were discussing it and you know we spoke about the fact that he resisted and the fact that he took the taser and you know he was running for you know running away from them but pointed the taser at them and I said no I I'm by no means am I justifying his actions or saying that what he did was right however I still feel that if he was white that the situation would have been handled differently and that's where the problem is is that when these white officers saw him you know we we and we can we can look at his not history but we can look at the last few cases where there have been violent um criminals who were white who had killed people who were still taken down peacefully <laughs> who were not killed and had and, and were armed, but they still managed to, you know, take them down, arrest them and, and take them. You know why? Because they were not their judge, jury and executioner. They were their police officer and they arrested them and they took them to go through proper channels to be, you know, to be dealt with and to be processed. But Mr. Brooks was not afforded that opportunity. Mr. Floyd was not afforded that opportunity. And so this is where the problem is. And so I'm not anti-cop. I'm not anti-law enforcement. You know, I feel like law enforcement, you know, when done correctly, it's needed. And their job, they took an oath to protect and to serve their community. So those who are protecting and serving us, I appreciate them. I am thankful for them. Um, But there is a disconnect and the system is broken and it needs to be repaired and it needs to be fixed. And it's only going to happen by us coming to the table like you said and having these discussions and us being able to hear from them and them being able to hear from us and seeing how do we fix this yeah in my own 
space, my own environment, I am starting these discussions with my white sisters um, and friends. I'm thinking if we're friends, we should be able to have these tough conversations because you know my heart, I know yours. Um, so I am asking questions. What are they doing to support this cause? What conversations are they having with their sons and their husbands? Uh, and what are their greatest fears? And, and we don't have time to go into it right now, but some of the responses are very <laughs> striking. <laughs> yeah, so we can start small. I'm not necessarily talking about this big committee where we're on TV and the world gets to see us. What do we say? Start at start home. Start at home. That includes that includes your friends. Huh. Yep. I know um, you know, it's it's to a point now where um I, I try to not look at everything from a racial thing, from a racial perspective, right? right? Because I don't want right. to become overly sensitive to the moment something happens, oh, that was racial. That was racial because some things aren't necessarily racial, and some things are justified. Um, but I'm never going to justify. Uh, I'm never going to be able to justify or wrap my head around an unarmed um, person that we we don't even know if they're guilty or not, but have are in the process of being arrested and being um, murdered. Like I, I just I, that one I just can't wrap my head around um, because when we speak about um, the, the 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 use of force um, and and how you know what the use of force needs to be and I understand that it's different for police officers you know if they feel like um, extreme force is necessary then they are permitted to you know to do that but we have to start even you know revisiting that to saying you know what is considered like what situations are you in to where as you feel like you had to take a fatal shot to this person especially when they did not have any type of weapon how was it that your life was in danger when they didn't have a weapon to take your life or to hurt you or to injure you um I, i thought about this this morning as i was preparing for this podcast and i said you know a lot a lot of times um i think if you get into the psyche of some of these police officers you know because they'll be quick to say well they feared for their life or they somehow see you know um african-american men as a threat or they're afraid of them or you know they see them as you know they could possibly hurt them and so my response to that is you know I would never be a firefighter and my reason that I would never be a firefighter is because I'm afraid of fire and so if if a fire you know erupts in front of me I don't know what I would do I would be in a state of panic I might be in a state of shock I might not be able to move I don't know how I would respond because I know that I am afraid of fire And so to the police officers out there, if you are afraid of black people or if you are in fear of black people, then don't be a police officer because you don't know how you're going to respond to them. You don't know how to relate to them. You don't know how. So your first reaction is going to be, I got to kill them because you're afraid of them. 
And if that's what, if, if that's the response or that's going to be what you use is that you are afraid of them. You're not afraid of your peers. You're not afraid of someone that looks like you, but you're afraid of someone that doesn't look like you. Then maybe law enforcement is not the job for you. And then my question would be, why are you afraid of them? Is it because of your stance, what you're holding, the hatred, the poisonous venom thoughts that you're holding in your heart? Yes, there's this little thing. When I say venomous, I know people know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. I'm afraid of them because of the way I was taught and the way I see and the way I think about. Now that's a space that I'm clearing up for myself too. And when I clear that up, when I heal that, there's no more fear around that. I'm not hanging out with them, but there's no more fear. So the question for the police officer is why are you afraid? Is it because you know you want to harm and you're not sure how it's going to go? If you create a space of love and peace and joy around that person or thing you're afraid of, their lives change. So it's their responsibility to clean up their stuff. I always go back to that. It is. We, we, there's nothing that we can do to make them stop killing us. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like we, we can't because, you know, when you, again, and, and I'm just going based on the cases that has, you know, that we have been watching on, on, you know, um, develop in the news. I think about, um, I think the young man's name was Philando Castile. And I forgot even yeah. why they were, I don't, I don't even remember why they were pulled over, but I know he was with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's baby in the backseat. And I remember yeah. them drawing guns on them for whatever reason. And, you know, he told the man, I, there is a gun. It's in the glove compartment. I, I have a license for it. You know, I, he didn't have the gun in his hand. He didn't reach for the gun. He simply told him there is a gun in the car. He was honest. I'm a registered firearms carrier. Like I, I have a license for this. And yet, and still this man, I mean, he literally just shot him on Facebook live. Like how, why, what, how did you feel threatened in this situation? You know, like we, we cannot fix that. Now there's things that we need to do our own housekeeping within our own community. And I say that all the time. There's things that we need to fix within our own communities, yes, and, and as a culture and as a race, and we need to come together and figure those things out amongst ourselves. But we cannot fix us and fix them too. <laughs> right. They have to be right. willing to fix themselves. And on that same vein, um, I don't, I'm not sure if you've heard about all of the police officers that have called out, they've called it the blue flu. A lot of them have yeah. called off the job. It's almost like a silent protest that they're refusing to come to work. Um, right. You know, part of me, and a lot of them have resigned. And so part of me said, hey, those that resigned, it just means that it wasn't for you. It means that you didn't need to be right. here. And I'm actually glad that you're gone because maybe you'll make room for some good cops that want to make good. Um, for the ones that, you know, decided to call off, I, I listened to an interview with uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, and she talked about the fact that, you know, it's it's about more than being out here. You know, you're trying to take a stand and, and you're feeling some type of way because, you know, police officers have been fired for, you know, their conduct. However, you know, when you talk about Blue Lives Matter or your Blue Brotherhood, you know, now if you don't show up to work, you're leaving your partners or your fellow police officers out there 
on their own, you know, um, under, you know, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, not having enough people to essentially, you know, patrol these neighborhoods understaffed is the word that I'm just looking for. Um, and so all because you're angry because we're saying that there's a problem and we're tired of you killing us. That, 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 that bothers me. Um, I get it that you guys feel like you're threatened and well, not threatened, but you feel like, you know, um, you're being attacked and, you know, you, you feel like, you know, um, well, they, you don't feel appreciated or morale is down and, and all of that stuff, but take yourself out the picture. And if there's any law enforcement that's listening to this right now, I, I just implore you to take yourself out of it for a moment and, and really understand that this is not, we, we, we just want you all to understand that there's a problem with how you're policing us. And we want to work towards getting a better way of policing, a better way of approaching, a better way of handling situations and de-escalating things instead of your first response is to just go for the fatal shot and, and kill someone. Like, like that's what it boils down to. We don't, you know, we're not saying that all police are bad, but we are saying that the police system or the law enforcement system as a whole um, is broken and it needs to be fixed. And if you have a problem with admitting that the system that you work for is broken, then you're essentially a part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I know we've been just going in today <laughs> but this is just so much good <laughs> conversation and I think that uh, again yeah, I, I think that it. it's necessary and it's needed because hopefully people will hear this dialogue and they'll talk about it they'll, sh- they'll share it and I mean that's the only way that change is really going to happen it, it definitely starts with conversations and it definitely starts at, at home and in the workplace and in these other environments and then you know eventually it, it makes its way to the main stage to where change can actually um you know, happen. Right. So, um, just a couple of more questions and I'm going to let you go. Cause I want you to be able to enjoy your Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take up all of your time with this. Um, but I will just say that, you know, um, as we spoke about the pandemic, um, as well as the social crisis that we're having, um, you know, we are right now in the state of pandemic, and the impact that that's having on the nation. Like we can't even travel to Europe. They said we can't come there anymore right. um, until we get our numbers down. Um, we have people that's protesting, wearing masks, saying that it, you know, it's, uh, it goes against their civil rights. Um, we're telling, we're being told on one hand to wear masks, but then the powers that be are having conventions with thousands of people with no masks. So, um, Mm-hmm. So COVID-19 is definitely here and it looks like it's going to be here with us for a while. Um, and then with all of that happening and the civil unrest, um, I would just like for you to kind of um, share your just overall perspective um, of what do you see in terms of how the world and people are feeling right now on a whole? Yeah, I think it's uh, what I had just said earlier that the world has been swallowed up in grief and there are all kinds of emotions 
And the key for me is self-care. We are up first. Take care of my mind, my body, my spirit. Sort of get charged every single day so that I can participate in the movement without harming myself, without going into a space that's not meant for me to be in. Um, so in terms of what I see in the world, yeah, people are just feeling grief. And we can call it whatever we want. Um, it's about a loss, and that's what grief is. It's something, it's emotion that comes up after we lose something. Um, people have lost a lot. We can call it anger, frustration. Uh, what are some other words? Guilt. Yeah. <laughs> Doubt. Anxiety. <fear. laughs> Anxiety. Anxiety is on 10 these days. Um, so knowing that that's out there and it's universal. Yes. And even those of us who are grounded and do put first things first, like myself, every day throughout the day, I'm still going to feel those feelings from other people. But because of my practices, I don't stay there long. And that's why I said that about the news, because I know that I'm not going to miss anything. They're repeating the same yes. stuff over and over Yes, and, over. and it's like they went away from COVID for a little while. Um, and I think, but it, it, isn't it so strange to you? And I'm sorry to cut you off, but how the moment okay. that the news or the media, because we know that, you know, the media definitely perpetuates fear and, and it kind of leads things and it, it, it definitely right. you know drops things into our spirit, into our conscious subconscious so that we, you know, we usually respond to what's happening in the news, right? So when we were seeing all of this coronavirus and quarantine and sheltering in place and things being shut down, um, everyone was, you know, pretty much on board to, okay, we, this is real. This is serious. We have to take it serious. People are dying. The numbers are going up, blah, blah, blah. And then once the news stopped talking about it and started talking about these protests and the de demonstrations and, you know, um, what's happening right now with the rally for justice it's like everyone said oh we're not doing COVID right now and just like went right back like COVID did not exist <laughs> mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and started just going about their days without wearing masks without social distancing and going back to the regular routine meanwhile COVID is still here like I'm still here I'm not going anywhere um, people are still getting sick people are still dying and, and you guys can ignore this or act like you don't know about it anymore because it's not in the news as much but it's still very much prevalent <laughs> and it's still you right. know um, right now the numbers are back up and you know the ICUs are filling back up and more cases are coming in um, and so now I think we're going to start to see people start to settle in again because the news is reporting right. on it more so like you said they're going to report I on the same things over and over again they're going to make sure that you hear <laughs> right. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the news. Um, I just offer to your listeners to not make it a priority. And I know in the beginning of my, um, of this podcast, you, when you were introducing me, the word holistic, and I, I know what I do, but when you said it that time, it just really resonated 
um, that, you know, I have a holistic approach to grieving. And that is really anchored around, oh, you're a Bible scholar. I don't remember. I think it's First Thessalonians, where the, the word says, remind us that we are a body, a soul, and a, and spirit. a spirit. And it's that soul right there in the middle, the mind, the emotions, that's where we're always operating. We know, we've mastered these things around the body. You know I have a body. You see it every time you see me. So we've mastered that, but it's right in the middle, the mind and those emotions that is how we're operating. And if we're not anchored from our spiritual aspect, our spiritual being, that, you know, it's where we're connecting with that higher power, that force that we call God, then we could be all over the map. (laughs) So my holistic approach to grieving is looking at all aspects of how are you feeling? What are you telling yourself about this situation? And how that's showing up in your body? And where is God in the midst of Mm. all of that? We know the body is magnificent, right? Just think about it. You and I are not telling ourselves when to have the next breath. It's just happening. We're not telling ourselves our blood where to flow, which organ to go to next. It's just happening. The body is so magnificent. And that includes the mind to think and choose right or wrong. The emotions to feel grief. Grief is a necessary emotion. I think, yeah, grief is necessary. Let's celebrate grief. Just like love and peace. And then that spirit, that greater connection, that force we call God. So that's the holistic approach. And that's what I offer to everyone. Make sure you're nurturing and you're taking care of all aspects of who you are. Not just your body. When we wash and cleanse our mind daily, the same as we do our body, there lies our power. Yes. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And stop hanging on to what grandmama told us back in the mm. day. That if you go to, I love, you know, we of love course. our But they taught us what they knew. And what worked for them in that time, we, in that era. Yeah, don't go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. People gonna think you're crazy. Mental health is bad. We all need a mental health checkup. The mind is where it all starts. Spiritual nourishment is a must. So that we're operating from that space, from my higher self, my spiritual self. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that external stuff, that all of what I just described is the internal, those things we can't see. I can't see my thoughts, you know, when I I feel them. Um, I, my spiritual aspect, I know it's there. So we don't focus on that as much. We focus on the external mm-hmm. stuff. But when the internal is operating from a place of harmony, peace, joy, and love, the external will just show up yes. automatically. The money, the material things, the cars, the homes, or whatever. 
the relationship you want, but we got to clean up the internal. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the captain that controls the ship. <laughs> yes. It is the captain yeah. that controls the ship. And I feel like our body, when you think about all of the parts of the body, it's all controlled by the spirit. And so, yes. you know, if I, I say this all the time, if, if you were to break your arm or if you were to, you know, shatter your knee or, or something physical, you would not hesitate to go to the doctor to get seen and to get, you know, to, to, to get worked on by the doctor so that you could be fixed and be whole again. Same thing happens with our mind. You know, when our mind is not well, we should not hesitate to go and get the help that we need to make our minds whole again. Because if our mind isn't whole, then our body isn't whole. Our spirit, it it, it, it all works together. Mm -hmm. It's the the trinity. Yes. Yes. So thank you for dropping that on us. Yes, ma'am. Okay, moving right along. Yeah, so Diana, um, I wanted to, of course, get into the... um, finding out from you, you know, with everything that's happened, um, with everything that's going on with the pandemic, um, and of course the rally for justice and the social crisis that we're dealing with at, the, at this time, um, how has those things impacted you? How has it changed the way that you move forward um, in your personal and professional life? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so individually, my, in my personal life, I said earlier that I have a societal responsibility to expect change in my community. So I'm doing more there in terms of I have a nonprofit and a for-profit and I'm being more intentional about serving more Blacks, people with melanated skin like myself. That's my professional piece. But also on a personal level, I'm reading more, I'm studying my history, knowing where I came from, Uh, just going deeper with that because I know for certain that when we know who we are, what we are, where we came from, we will immediately realize the power that's within us and we will stop looking outside of ourselves for someone else to save us because their skin may be lighter or they may have more money than we have. Wow. So, yeah, we have the same power, the same power. If we look at our history, all the the inventions, and that's a long story. I won't go into that. (laughs) But uh, another part of what I'm doing on a personal level is having those deeper conversations with my white girlfriends. And I mentioned it earlier. I'm asking them questions. What are they doing to support this cause? What conversations are they having with their husbands and their sons, their children? What are their greatest fears? And I figure if we're friends, we should be able to have these um, authentic, uh, powerful conversations. So that's just a few of the things that I'm looking at and it's really changing me in terms of seeing things differently. 
or elevate my game, I'll say. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, for one, let me be the first to say thank you so much um, because we understand the importance of healing and therapy um, and counsel um, within our community. You and I have, you know, probably um, beat the beating a dead horse at this point but you know we have continuously spoke about how our community and how you know people of color um typically do not go for counsel or do not tend to their mental health and it's important to have someone who looks like us someone who's going to love on us someone who is going to you know help us to be able to help us with that and so you know i thank you um for doing what you do. Um, we need more like you. We need more of you. So salute to you for taking, you know, time out to um, help those who are grieving, who are processing, um, you know, these different emotions and not sure how to do that um, and helping them to navigate through that holistically. Thank you for that because we definitely need more of that in our community. Um, also, when you spoke about um, having these conversations, you know, with your white counterparts, I think that's equally as important because, like you said, um, things start with a conversation, you know, change starts with conversation. And if we're going to call each other friends, um, then we should be able to have these tough conversations. It's the only way we're going to be able to really understand each other's perspectives and and come to some sort of, um, you know, understanding. I want to understand you more and I want you to understand us more. I want you to understand why we're doing what it is that we're doing. And hopefully you can take that back to your family members and your friends or whomever and you know affect change in that way so everything starts with a conversation it's like a domino effect mm-hmm. um i know for me um you know out of this pandemic and out of this rally for justice and in this you know current state that we're in um it definitely has pushed me to one start this podcast because this had been something that was on my to-do list for quite some time Mm. um and in the midst of being quarantined and being you know working from home now and having more free time and not really knowing what my business was going to look like because my business is so much um geared toward face-to-face interactions with people I was like well how do I reach my audience now how do I reach my followers now and so this podcast you know it gave me the platform to connect it also gave me the platform to uplift encourage inspire and empower people and let them know what's happening and what's going on um when I started my first series it was our new normal and I was just interviewing women about you know what their life looked like in the midst of the pandemic and so in in doing that you know that was a series within itself and then when all of this other stuff started happening with the rally for justice I had to switch gears because you know this was a more important topic to me and so um it has definitely allowed me to read more to study more like you said to learn more about where I come from um I'm actually interested in doing an ancestry um one of those DNA tests to kind of find out, you know, where my roots are, because there's so many unanswered mm. questions about, you know, my mom and, and, you know, just even, I mean, I know that I'm African-American, of course, but I want to know where I want to know the tribe. I want to know where in Africa <laughs> that my people come from, you know, I, I want to know more. Um, so it's definitely um, pushed me to wanting to, to know more and to um, 
to share because I'm a person that when I learn something, I don't want to just keep it to myself. I want to share with other people, right? So when I learn stuff and or when I read something, I'm like, I'm, let me go ahead and empower somebody else now that I'm empowered. So it's definitely pushed me to do that. Um, and, and professionally, it's allowed me to, you know, working in, in corporate America, you know, we're having these conversations, which I'm glad that I work for an organization that allows us to have these town halls and, and have these discussions about race and about discrimination and all of those things. Mm. It's also made me consider maybe even looking into perhaps working in um, diversity and inclusion. I'm like, do y'all got any uh, positions available? Because I would love to be on that <laughs> panel, right? So, um but it, it, I would say that with everything that's happening, um, it's helped me to um, to reflect more, to focus more on my health, not just my physical, but my mental health, to do more meditation, to do more praying, um, and to make sure that I'm taking care of my body, right? Because I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm staying clear of Corona as well. But if she comes my way, I want to be in tip top shape. I want to make sure that I'm in my best of health so that I can fight her, so that I can right. beat her. Right. Um, and that she won't beat me. I think that's important too, that we are taking care when we speak about holistically mind, body, and spirit, you know, mm-hmm. we have to make I sure we're that. taking, we got to make sure we're taking care of the temple. We got to make sure we're healthy, that we're eating the right things that we're, you know, putting things into our body. That's going to help us to fight off, not just Corona, but the flu and, and everything else that's out there that attacks our body. Mm-hmm. We have to be our best selves. If we're going to be our best selves. Yes, I love that. So, um, so that's, that's, I mean, I I was just kind of, um, really just, um, answering my own question that I asked you, but I see that (laughs) I see the similarities in, you know, how both of us have used this experience in the current state of what we're dealing with to kind of be the catalyst for us to do better. I think right. that at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about us, you know, taking whatever the circumstances are and making the most of it and, and capitalizing on it and doing, you know, doing something with it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> um, I would like you, well, I think you kind of touched on this already about your holistic approach to healing grief. Um, did you care to elaborate on that more? Um, no, I think I covered that yeah thoroughly. I, I think you were pretty I think you pretty much covered that one yeah. and so before I go before I let you go um I want you to um please give us leave us with some tips give us three takeaways um that these listeners can take and they can jot down and, and maybe use it apply it for their lives um because you certainly blessed me in so many ways, even with that last call that we had and the, the breathing counts and the exercises and all of those things. But <laughs> if you would just be so kind as to give my listeners three takeaways um, from this discussion that we had today. Yeah, let's see. Well, let me just start by saying, and I think we've already said it, but I just to summarize, if I had to say it in one word in terms of all of our struggles the one thing is we all have some pain and confusion in our bodies pain from the past confusion and beliefs we're still carrying that no longer serve us so my takeaway number one is 
actually it's an invitation to invite your listeners to look at all aspects of who you are all of it go deeper have some gain some mental awareness emotional awareness physical awareness spiritual awareness about yourself and learn how they are working together for good or working together against you and when one is out of whack yeah it will affect the others as well tip number 2 um and i thought about this earlier it has changed um i would say this is to your listeners who are believers or even non-believers understand <laughs> scripture for yourself mm, that's good stop quoting scriptures and not know what they mean for you because your interpretation would be different from your pastors from your siblings your pastor i believe is there to provide a framework a place for you to start from but then integrate your specific situation in each one and here's a a, a quick example we've all heard it ask and you shall receive <laughs> what does that mean to you listeners it's not begging there's a language to communicate to god i think it's the language of emotion affirmation speaking the truth of what already is and knowing that those desires that are in your heart they were placed there unless they're coming from your ego they were placed there by god and the other scriptures around i think it's jeremiah i know the plans for your life before you were born when you yes. were in your mother's womb yes listeners keep busy learning what those plans are your purpose why you're here let it unfold know the plan do it while you're in quarantine or even those of us who have to have gone back to work so that was my tip number 2 really for but i say believers non-believers um we all know that you know our pastors tell us about scriptures as they know it as they understand it and i love what your pastor said on the other call that help people understand that prayer without action is just totally dead mm yes yes we're yes. waiting on god and god is waiting on us <laughs> um so yeah get this for yourself your dissect scripture for yourself what does it mean for your situation because your filters your experiences are so different from the next person even your sibling yeah absolutely and we all know that some parts of the bible was left out so you're being taught mostly the what now it's up to you listeners to go figure out the how or find someone to support you to help you figure out the how just do it differently research there's so so much more that was a long tip number 2 wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> but well needed yeah and the third tip would just be get support if you need it it's okay if you're not okay yes say that again please say that one more time get support if you need it 
it's okay that you're not okay. And that support can look so many different ways. It could be a counselor. It could be a therapist. It could be a coach. I could be your minister. Um, it could be a grief specialist. It could be a community. But whatever you do, choose not to isolate. Let isolation not be an option because you're just with you and you if you're not bringing in that higher force of God. And even with that, there's a time and place to be in community. So those are my three tips. Wow. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This was such a full, robust, uh, just, oh man, just awe-inspiring um, discussion today. I know we covered a lot. Yeah. Um, I will probably, this might even have to get chopped up into two episodes. <laughs> but um, as I always say, because I know that I can be long-winded and I talk a lot, but um, it's if, if it's informative, if it's helpful, then it's not wasted. Um, we're not just sitting here chit-chatting about nothing. We're having some real discussions about some real things. Um, and if applied, can affect real change. Um, yes. So I just want to thank you so much for providing us with those takeaways. Um, I, it, I don't need to add or say anything to it, except I'm going to take those takeaways myself and use them too. <laughs> um a lot of them, which I had already been doing. And a lot of that, you know, I just kind of came to my own understanding about certain things. And to your point, yes, when we're talking about scripture and, you know, because scripture is real and we definitely can apply them to our lives, but it's on us to do the homework. It's on yes. us, you know, yes, pastors are here to interpret and to give us a word. And I believe that pastors are messengers of God. However, you you have to study and show thyself approved you have to study for yourself you have to know for yourself yes you have to have your own experience you cannot experience god through someone else's words you have to experience him for yourself okay so thank you so much for your time i appreciate you um I, I love everything that you said, and I really know that my listeners will be blessed um, by what they heard on today. So thank you so much, Miss Diana. I appreciate you. You're so welcome. You. I enjoyed it. Thank you for the <laughs> opportunity. Absolutely. Um, how do my listeners get in touch with you if they would like to receive more information? Yeah, so social media. I'm on Facebook at Coaching to the Heart. Same is true for Instagram, Coaching to the Heart. And my website, my website is coachingtotheheart.org. But this is one thing I would like to share with your female listeners. Um, if there's anyone listening to this podcast and going through a season of loss and pain and grief and whatever comes with that, I do have a private Facebook page. Um, it's very sacred, it's safe, and it's called Women Helping Women Heal from Grief. Um, I'm not sure if there's a link I can put out there for you later to give to your audience, yes. or your audience can just go on Facebook, 
Look for women helping women heal from grief and consider signing up. Lots of tools and skills and conversations that are happening and healing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that information. Um, I know that um, someone listening and, you know, like they say in the church, if there's only one, then that's (laughs) then that one is what we were that that one is who we were supposed to, you know, to impact today or that one is who we were supposed to reach today. But um, I thank you for sharing that, because I think that at some level we all have or are experiencing some sort of grief and now you have a resource to reach out to um if you're needing help with that so she just provided you with that so you know you don't have to go at this alone you don't have to go in isolation like she said um please reach out to miss diana um she is a resource for you all to use and that's what we do here at the winter circle we try to provide you all with resources and tools um to help you live purpose-driven lives that's our mantra that's what we do so All right. So we're going to wrap up this session. And um, once again, thank you so much for your time. Um, I wish you the best with all of your endeavors and everything that you're doing business wise. And I look forward to working with you again soon. Yes, me too. Thank (laughs) you. you. All right, Ms. Curtis, have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.